ATV Talk, the podcast presents Inspired. Sit down with your host, Leonard Duncan, as he interviews men and women whose stories are so inspirational that they need to be shared. Hopefully, their stories may inspire you and create a change. Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV Dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vein and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Alex, welcome to ATV Talk. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm glad to be on here. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate your service to our country. And, And that being said, I'd like to know exactly what your rank is so that I don't mispronounce it for our listeners. All right. I'm a major in the United States Marine Corps. Oh, dude, you picked a tough group, didn't you? <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a challenge since the very beginning, but uh, a worthwhile one for sure. And how many years have you been serving? Uh, this month makes 26 years for me. And you're not that old. So how did you work <laughs> that out? Yeah, I'm uh, 44 years old and or 44 years young, however you want to look at it. But honestly, I think the Marine Corps has its way of, of keeping you in shape and keeping you moving. And that helps uh, the youthful uh, appearance and, and probably the, the way I get around. That's pretty awesome. And you've, you, and I, you and I had a, a further conversation or we started our conversation and we probably shouldn't have because that would have been more of a surprise for me when we were talking. But you've deployed a, a number of times already. I have. I've, uh, I've had a chance to go all over the place. Uh, Marine Corps gets, uh, yeah, it's very unique that we're able to go and see things all over the world. And uh, it's not on our dime. It's on the Marine Corps. but sometimes we go to places we don't like to go either. You know, sometimes we get to, to see the places that we probably wouldn't have, have opted to go if we, we had our choice in the matter. But again, like I said, we get to see the world. There's sometimes a uh, really, really good opportunities to, to see things that you, again, like I said, you wouldn't have had a chance to go out, you know, go off and do on your own, but this allows you to see different cultures, see different you know, the way people live and, and see some of the austere conditions that most people don't get to see the places that aren't in the touristy areas, but also gets to see how it allows you to see how people live in real life and in real situations. I got a chance to see a little bit of all that always since uh, 
the first few years I came in the Marine Corps, I got a chance to go on a, a Westpac. It's a tour on ship that allows us to see a lot of things in the Western Pacific. And you know, we get a chance to go through, you know, everywhere from, I went, I've been to Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, United Arab, you know, and then from there, went around into the Gulf, got to see the United Arab Emirates. I spent time in Kuwait. I uh, got a chance to go down to Bali and Australia. So my first Westpac uh, had a lot of new new sites, new things that, to see. And you know, when I was growing up, the only time I ever got a chance to leave, leave the United States was to go down to Mexico uh, with the family and, and a vacation down there. So this gave me a chance to see part of the world I have never seen before and you know, things that, and cultures that I've never had a chance to experience and never would have. Honestly, I think my dad, he's seen... He, he's seen he's seen Canada and he's seen Mexico. He hasn't, and he's seen some things that we've been able to go off of cruises, but uh, in, in the Caribbean. But as far as going out and, and seeing Asia and Europe, that hasn't been anything that he's been able to do. And he's, you know, he's been, he's been around another twenty, you know, twenty something years longer than I have. So it's real interesting to to have seen more and done more and, and to be able to experience, you know, to experience things that your parents have never seen and, and be able to talk to them about it. I know my dad sure envies my brother and I for, you know, basically not having a, uh, an itinerary after we land jumping on an airplane and going to different countries and different places yeah. all over the world uh, to do what we do. And it, it's pretty awesome. One of the things that I that I can't convey to everybody is how lucky we are to live in the United States. Like I say, uh, if I was in the Marine Corps, I'd still be a Patriot. You know, the, the mindset I had going into the Marine Corps was to, to serve my country and to do what I can for it. And it's great to be around people that in any community that, that have a, a likeness to the way you think about things and, you know, being a Patriot, doesn't mean you have to serve, but it being patriot, you know, means that, you know, you have to know that the country that you live in, you have to have appreciation for it and know that, you know, we're, we're lucky. We're, we're blessed to have a, you know, to have a country that has that affords us the freedoms that we had. We're going around the world. There's a lot of places that aren't as lucky or, or as blessed as we are, don't have the luxuries and, and, and the freedoms that we have. So if I wasn't, a Marine, I, I'd still feel blessed and I'd still feel like what we have here in the Marine, in, in the, in the United States is something that I think a lot of us take for granted, but it's so worth fighting for That's for sure. And I'm glad and honored to be able to fight for it. Well, I appreciate that. So how, how did you pick the, the Marines? Uh, came down to what I thought was going to be the, the most challenging for me. I'm a challenge oriented person. Someone that, you know, it's, it, 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 I thrive when I see something put in front of me that gives me, that, that makes me work at it to make it, that doesn't come easy. Something that, that really puts me, it puts me on my heels and makes me want to lean forward to, to figure out how to get through it. And the Marine Corps was definitely that. And when I found out what it took to get through it, found out how hard the, the training was to, to go through, I, I knew it was for me. I looked at the other ones and I, found out what they had to offer and what I'd be doing. And when I found out what the Marine Corps was all about, I, I, I knew that this was, I was a square pig and that was a square hole that I was going to jump through. That's pretty awesome. When, yeah. when you say that you're challenge orientated, were, I'm assuming you were, uh, 
19, 18 when you went in? Uh, I was, I graduated high school at 17 and I immediately went to the, the recruiting office at 17 and, and told them that this was my path. And I told the recruiter that this is what I needed to be. And I need to be a Marine and was told I had to have my parents come and, and sign for me to go in at 17 or to be able to, to enlist at 17. So upon hearing that news, went home and told my mom and my mom said that I could wait till I was 18, that she wasn't going to sign for me. And <laughs> ended up, <laughs> I ended up talking to my dad and let him know what I was trying to, to get myself into. And, you know, he was supportive and, and, you know, asked me if I was real sure about it. And I, I told him I definitely was, this is the path that I'm, you know, I think was met for me. And if nothing else, it gives me four years to figure out what I want to do with myself in this world. Because at the the backside of high school, I know I'm not the, alone in this, but there's a lot of people trying to struggle to figure out what they're going to make of themselves. And, and at 17 years old and, you know, standing there and trying to figure out what was right for me. I think this uh, was a good fit. I figured if nothing else, it was a four year extension on figuring out what I want to do when I grew up. And uh, so that gave me that option to to do some growing up while in the Marine Corps. I lived my formal area. I kind of went through those those years that everybody else would be going to college or, or finding their way through a, at the early stages of a, of a career path. And I did mine in, in the Marine Corps to, to shape me into what I was going to be and never set up to do more than than four years. My, my mindset was set. I do my four, get out, do some college and, and, and figure out my, you know, the way my life was going to turn out. And it turned out that my, my life was a good fit in the Marine Corps. I didn't have to go and look anywhere else or look any further that the Marine Corps was, was my path. And that was one I was going to stay on. And that's, that's, that's you know, four, awesome. Um, so what are you going to be when you grow up? <laughs> four years turned into eight years, turned into another 12, you know, just seemed like the enlistment after enlistment. I, I just decided that, that, that I didn't want to stray from it. So I kept, I kept growing in it and, at uh, 14 and a half years in, I got my commission, you know, I went from gunnery, you know, from private all the way to the rank of gunnery sergeant and then got my commission as a second lieutenant. And I'm a major now. I I've, I've, don't think I'm, I'm ready to, to let it go. You know, it's kind of hard to do something that you've done for your entire adult life. I, you know, I, I joined at 17. By the time I actually got to boot camp, I had turned 18. I was, I was on the delayed enlistment program, allowed me to go through. And then, uh, yeah, I started off in the infantry. I did five and a half years in the infantry. I did nine years in ground communications. And then when I got my commission, I became an air defense control officer, different path completely. The Marine Corps has a lot of, a lot of different facets, you know, different ways and, and different paths you can go through. You know, we have, you know, people that do things on the ground side. We have things that are on the logistics or communications based and, uh, got a chance to see some of those things. Uh, and I got a chance to see the, the, the air wing side, the, the aviation side of the Marine Corps. And that didn't happen until I was an officer. And it was a, an eye opening experience to see that there were so many different things you can do in, in a service so small. And I kind of got a chance to, to shape for me, the, the, the person I am, because again, my entire adult life has been spent as a Marine. I was 17 when I, I, I made that commitment and, you know, here I am at 44 years old and I'm still, still well in it and still not sure what I'm going to do when uh, I at the park ways with this, uh, this gun club. If, if it happens positively for you, you could go 33. Mostly if, if you get all of the um, promotions on the way up, correct? I can go more than that. Actually. Uh, you can do 30 years from the data commissioning. And so at the date of my commission, I was at 14 and a half years in, I can do 30 years beyond that point if I'm still making rank. 
and I haven't missed anything like, like you were saying for promotion. I, if I'm still making my way up the ranks, uh, I can continue to go. I can technically do, I guess, 44 and a half years in the Marine Corps. Wow. So That's crazy. That's it's been a, it's been a tough ride. I don't know if I'll go that that long. I don't know if that's uh, that's something I want to pursue to go that 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 long. But uh, I'm still not ready to get off the off the ride yet. It's been it's been good to me. It's been good to to the family that I've I've raised, and it's made me who I am. I, I think it's shaped a, a lot of my life. I went through college while I was in the Marines. I had a chance to to build a, a lot of uh, a lot of experiences that again, like I said, I wouldn't have had any other way. And then the, the education that, that came behind it, it didn't come easy, but, uh, on any spare time and free time I had, I, I went after it and, and got that done. And then I've accomplished a lot more than I, I thought I, I would initially. Cause again, I, I was only set to do the first four years and, and then go grab some college and, and do something else with my life. But it, it, it turned out that this is, this was the fit that I was, uh, meant to be a part of. So, not to get too nosy about what you do now you're in charge of the airfield personnel. Uh, no, I'm uh, basically there's a couple of different, uh, there's a ground side to the aviation and then there's the, the, the flying side, the flying side supports the aircraft and the aircraft and it does the maintenance on the aircraft to keep it flying. And then we have the control side, the, the, command and control side of, of aviation. And for that, that takes uh, people that do air traffic control. There's people that do control of uh, aircraft and tactical scenarios. Uh, there's also uh, parts that that pr protect us from uh, heater ballistic missiles and air, and we, we practice air defense, you know, against uh, our, the enemy who also have aircraft. And so with the, the threats that, you know, coming by way of air, either missiles or, or aviation, there's gotta be people that uh, manage you know, I, you know, finding those, those threats to us and, and then figuring out a way to get those things shot down. And so the air defense piece is us coordinating with other agencies within the, the military and making sure that we are, are safe from any uh, such enemies threat that we, we would have going against us. And so there's a, there's a, there's a lot of different things that go on there. I'm an operations officer for what they call the Marine Tactical Air Command Squadron. And for us, you know, we are the agency that uh, control, you know, that, that manages all the other controlling agencies. And as an operations officer for my squadron, uh, I manage the exercises and uh, the personnel and the equipment uh, training to keep us in, in a state where we're ready to, to do the mission that we're supposed to be doing for command and control. So you're not the guy I yell at if the missile gets through. I uh, know I'm not that guy, but uh, <laughs> I'll have I'll, I'll have a uh, you know I definitely have some some connection to the people that are are responsible for that. Um, how many people do you have underneath you now? Um, well, I have a small team that that work for me. Uh, the operations piece uh, there's. Uh, an operations chief that I had that uh, is pretty much my right-hand man. I have an S3 or uh, an operations assistant, you know, uh, an officer that is um, basically in, in my absence will, will do what I need to do and I'm not there and or, or assist me in my efforts. And then I have a training section that, that works for me that manages all of our ground 
training that we have to do. And so there's a annual requirement for any Marine to, to get accomplished every year. So we have, you know, rifle ranges, we have physical fitness tests, we have uh, requirements for chemical, biological, radiological, and, and nuclear uh, training that we got to do every year. And there's a handful of, of uh, other classes that we have to do online and uh, classes that we have to give in person and receive, you know, there's classes that have to be received by, by every Marine on, on an annual basis that these guys have to track. They have to arrange uh, instructors to give those classes and they have to make sure Marines make it to those classes to receive that training. And so they create opportunities for that to happen. And in a COVID environment, it makes it a little bit challenging because, you know, it's hard to put people in, in a group together with social distancing. And also then it creates a challenge where we have to be able to find venues big enough to keep people spaced out and spread out and, and, and then make multiple venues to where we can keep the population low to still receive the training on multiple different occasions. So, Again, you know, there's the reality of today's society that, you know, that comes into play, but then the, the requirement doesn't go away and you know, we still have the train to, to get through. And then we still need to make sure that we are capable of getting through our mission. Military's got to keep going no matter what, right? It, it does. It does. It doesn't stop or pause for anybody. There's just got to be uh, another way to get through things. So we just always had to find that other way to make things happen. That's awesome. So let's get off, let's get off the military for a little bit and, and get off your okay. personal deal. And, and how did you find, how did you, did you connect with me? Well, it was a, uh, not a, a straight effort for me. It was me not knowing anything about, uh, yeah, I'll, you know, not knowing what to do with my, an ATV that I had sitting in, in my garage that I had aspirations to do something with, you know, I have a Honda TRX 250R 1986, the first year that it came out. And I've had this thing for six or seven years now, might be, could be even eight years now. I, I got it on the backside of one of my deployments and I always had aspirations to do something with it rather than it being uh, just a taking up space in my garage with all the parts that I had available for it. I always thought I was going to do something with it. I just never got to it. It never ran when I first got it. I just knew it was going to be a project right from the get go, but I wanted to do a restore on it and put something back in action that had been out of commission for so long. The stickers on it say 2002. I can only guess that that was the last time it was legally ever able to operate. And they were from California. Uh, I bought the thing in Tucson, in Tucson, Arizona. It was a long ways from, from where I thought it had came from. I don't didn't have a real solid history on where the thing had been or how it arrived in Tucson. But I just knew I wanted to get it going someday. So it sat there in the garage collecting dust. And I, you know, I went to different duty stations and, and had to go to different deployments and never had a chance to just sit there and, and tear it apart and work at it. I came out here to California and got stationed here in, in Miramar, San Diego. And in the process of me being here, I, I had to go to another deployment. When I came back from there, I knew I had to do something here. And I ended up, uh, I have a house in Tucson, but I rent a room here. Don't have a lot of space to do a lot of things. So I couldn't bring any of my other project vehicles out. But I, what I did have was I had enough space to do something smaller. And I realized, you know, this too, you know, you know, the, you know grabbing that quad from Tucson and, and bringing it out here and sticking it in the, the area that I have to work on it, you know, that gave me the ability to, to do some, you know, some work on a, on a project that I've always wanted to do, you know, growing up, I had, 
I, I've ridden ATVs, but they were never my own. I had friends of the family that, that had, you know, dirt bikes and, and had a, you know, they had a lot of, a lot of vacation spots that involved Glamis or, or go to Lucerne Valley or, or some of these other places. And, and my dad would get invited to these things, but we never had toys of our own. It was always uh, us jumping off somebody else's toys. And as a kid, I kind of always felt left out on that. I just always, you know, was envious of the, the fun that they were having and they could have all the time. And I only got a chance to experience that on a limited basis. Getting this uh, quad of my own was kind of maybe reliving uh, maybe something that was missed in my youth and me coming out here and, and having this opportunity to, to tear into this project and, and, and get it going. Uh, again, like I said, I, I had to jump at it. I didn't, I, I have a road race car that I built. I built a drag race car. I do. I have a drag bike that I, I built. I've done some rest restoration projects and I have a rock crawler, a 1976 international scout that I'm trying to put back into to service. So it's not the first project I've gone through, but it's the first one of this, of this kind. And it's one I know I've, I've always wanted to get after. And so in my pursuit, not knowing anything uh, about the community that I was going to be a part of by, by building this project, I, I started looking online. I started watching, uh, you know, YouTube videos to kind of get a, a feel for what other people are doing with these. And then, uh, I started uh, looking at options I had locally to me to where I can go in and start seeking help to, to put this thing you know back together or put it in the a running shape. And, uh, surprisingly I, I went through, a uh, you know, I went to a place called uh, team Alba racing and getting a set of nerf bars from them. They, you know, they, they recommended you guys, you know, the, the Duncan racing team to work on my engine. Cause I told my, I didn't really have a good grasp on what I had to do with the, with the two stroke motor. I've never built one before. And I don't know what, what right looks like when it comes to, to tearing into this thing and, and doing justice to, to bringing it back to life. So you know, upon their recommendation, I, I took a trip out, not knowing the background, not knowing the history of Duncan racing or, you know, the, the people behind it or, or the, the shop and what it was all about. I, I looked it up and, and I, 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 I drove out and, and went in person to see what, what I could, uh, I could figure out for my, my quad. And, uh, I met you Leonard and, and your brother Lauren. And I immediately was given, you know, I was told that I need to, I need to have a, an end state for my, my project. I need to know what I want to get after before I go and start you know, making plans to do anything with it, which was probably sound advice because I didn't realize there's so many different things that these things were capable of, of being built for, or, you know, that there's such a niche uh, categories that you can be placed in and for your build. And it, without knowing that it's kind of hard to, to buy the right parts and to assemble a, a vehicle that is going to be purpose built for a particular use. And, I had to really assess at that point, like what I want to do with this thing rather than just doing a restore, like how am I going to utilize it? And, uh, you guys were the ones that really kind of got my, you know, I guess it got me thinking about what I really wanted to do with it. And at the same time, you know, I was pleasantly surprised to, to feel, you know, to feel part of a, a, a culture uh like, like so in, in the cars i built i've always been part of a call uh, car culture or a vehicle culture and uh, you get a a feeling for the, the families that are involved in it and see how the people live and then see how people are willing to help others you know that don't have any background in, in anything and me being part of a new culture like anything else i, I had to to do some growing and you guys were were instrumental in, in 
teaching me or bringing me along and you still are. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Well, that's, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the, the depth that you went into that. Um, this is what brought us together for today is um, learning a little bit about you and, and learning a little bit about your background. Um, I always appreciate someone that rises above the cream and does things that uh, the rest of us don't do. And, and that's you. I mean, you're one of those guys that uh, I really appreciate the service that, that you've put yourself through. There's a lot of sacrifice, you know, when you go on Westpac or when you go on tour or you get, or you have to go overseas for whatever the reason is, there's a big sacrifice there. You're sacrificing your family, you're sacrificing yourself. Um, you know, I've spoken to some war fighters, some combat guys and the sacrifices they go through. Uh, th there's just so many levels to it in the, in the same thing you were talking about the community that you come into. Um, our family's kind of a military background family. Both of my grandfathers were in the military. My dad was in the Naval reserve. Um, Lauren and I skipped. We, chose to work on ATVs. Um, right. I, I don't regret the path that I've chosen, but I think that, uh, I would have, I think I would have shined in the military as well. I don't have any doubts. Definitely <laughs> don't. <laughs> I really like it. You know, I just, I just never chose to go that way. Um, there was always a race to go to or a new bike to build, or, um, you know, there was a shiny thing in the corner taking my attention away from, from going that way. So here I am. I've always had a, an idea of, of those shiny things in the corner, what I want to do with them. I just, it's been real hard to find the time to, to get into them and, and get to a point where I can jump in on, onto it myself. I've had dreams of, I've watched, you know, growing up various types of motorsports racing and always had a, a desire to have a part of it or to be a part of any of those. And I've, gone after it with the, the other pursuits, I've, the other projects I've gone, I've, I've gone and built, but you know, I said, this is one more. I've, uh, I, I watched a, a TV series or doc TV documentary, uh, that was put together called dust to glory. And it kind of showcased, you know, everything that happens in, in Baja and the, the different type of people that go down there to, to race down there and the endure, you know, what, what it takes to endure the, those type of distances on, either a quad or a dirt bike in the trophy trucks or the, the buggies. And even those, uh, the BW bugs that are very, you know, very mildly modified that they, they still seem to make it from point A to point B and, and make it through the entire Baja 1000. Um, that's always been an inspiration, you know, growing up, I rode dirt bikes and I know that I'd be pretty tired and tuckered out after a couple hours of riding. These guys are, are, you know, they, they're doing the long haul races and, and I just don't know how they make it so far, honestly. And there's people that are soloing the, the entire distance and it's kind of beyond my scope, but, uh, those, those are the type of challenges I've, I've kind of gone after in my life. You know, the ones that seem like they're, they're a little bit too far or too much out of, out of reach, but you know, they're not impossible because I know other people have done it. And if they've done it, then I know I can as well. And so stuff like that really inspires me. I started this build with the idea that maybe I I'd figure out how I, I'd be able to utilize it and get myself into a, another challenge uh, situation where I can find the, the right 
hurdle to get through and then, and then make it through. And, uh, I think right now it works racing seems to be, uh, something that interests me and that's kind of the direction I've gone with my build. And I'd like to get to the point when I get back from my upcoming, uh, time in the middle East to go and, and try one of these works races. Uh, I grew up in Southern California. I've lived most of my life in the greater LA area. I've been in Orange County. I've been in Norwalk. I've been in inland and upland area. And, but I also went to Lake Havasu. My mom and stepdad moved out to Lake Havasu during my high school years. And right before I joined the Marine Corps, I came back to California, but I, I actually graduated from Lake Havasu high school and they actually have a works race that they do every year out there. And I'd love to be a part of that, to go out there and do something that I've never done before. And in a, uh, area that I'm somewhat familiar with. So I think when I get back, that's probably gonna be the first race I get after. Let's, let's not go to Havasu the first time. Okay. Because I'll take your advice so far. You haven't done, you haven't, you haven't steered me wrong yet. So I'll take your I, advice for sure. I love Havasu. Havasu when I was racing works was my favorite race. And the reason it was my favorite, favorite race because everybody else hated it. Okay. It was rough. It's hard. It's hard on your equipment. Um, actually works will be, they went there for round one this year. They went to round two in Peoria. They're actually going back to Havasu for, because of some type of, uh, technical scheduling change that had to be made. Um, so they're going to have round three at, at Havasu again in, in March. Um, if you haven't left yet, it's something that if you got it, if you can drive out on a Saturday or Sunday and watch that, um, it's, it's, it's in a confined area that is a just brutal it's brutal sand whoops rocks um everything that you don't enjoy is is what's there um but it's but it's awesome because you're right on the the water they're they're having it in the cooler temperatures Uh, you know i've been there in a monsoon and i've been there when it was 112 degrees Gotcha. You know, so the extremes are, are incredible. Uh, I think in March it'll still be cool enough, but it will be starting to warm up. Well, uh, after you know my my next stint or where I'm going to next, I'll be two years in the Middle East. I'll be going to different parts of the Middle East, and during that time frame, I'll get a chance to feel the extremes of that that environment has to offer. Plenty of sand out there, plenty of uh, hot temperatures. You know, the thing that they have there that Lake Havasu really doesn't have is the humidity. The temperatures in, in Havasu get up into the upper 120s and, and sometimes it, you know, peak over you know, 130, but it's dry. And people always talk about, well, it's the dry heat. Well, they have those same temperatures out there in the Middle East, but they come with humidity, you know, sometimes 70, 80% in, in the areas that I'll be at. And, you know, honestly, like I said, uh, maybe that won't be so bad. But again, after two years in, in that, maybe I do need to find a, a venue that doesn't put me in, in such a, a horrible place. And you know, I said, uh, what, what do you recommend? What do you think is a, uh, should be my first go at, at trying to work race? What do you recommend? Wow. There's so many amazing, it'll be depend on the season and where they're going. If they race Glen Helen, Glen Helen's usually, um, sand whoops, but it's a longer course. Um, I'm very familiar with Glen Helen, but it's not because I've ridden there. It's, it's because the, I was on foot there. Well, it's done. It's done in the, the, the hot part of the year. Um, right. Taft is a really good place to go race. If they have, if they go to Taft, um, it, it's, 
depending on how they lay it out, it can be really, really uh, taxing or it just can be really fast with a lot of airtime. It's still going to be rough because it's an off-road race, Um, but it's probably one of your milder on your equipment because, um, yeah, you run high speeds, but there's not so much debris to destroy your machine. Uh, Got it. Blythe is kind of gritty sand and rough. Uh, It's not as detrimental to the machine, but it's pretty rough. Probably there again, it depends on the the time of year. Um, I don't know what Idaho is going to be like. And if Idaho will be a race that you'd want to travel to when you come back. Um, I know that I've raced there a couple of times. I don't know if it's the same place. Um, so, so we really have to pick and choose when you come back and decide to go. And, you know, there's some things that we need to make sure that we take care of on your machine, depending on where we go so that you don't have any issues. Right. Um, preparing for a works race is, uh, is a lot like preparing for everything. And, and let's roll this into your world. You okay. prepare to go to battle. So you train, so you're already training at a higher level. You're doing pushups and sit-ups and pull-ups and running, and you're expanding your lungs by doing these things. And these are all things that you need to do when you're going to go race an off-road race. So right. you have a mindset of training. So that's not going to be your issue. The mindset will be training your muscles to relax when you're riding um, because your reaction, your mental reaction is to tighten up. And I don't right. want you to tighten up. I want you to be relaxed and, and flow. Um, so you may have to go on a few training sessions to ride the machine in a, in a controlled environment first, before you go to the race, because, uh, I mean, you're, you, you seem like an intense guy. But what I don't is I don't want you overly intense. I want you focused. I want you watching the train and learning and getting a feel for it. But I don't want you so intense that your muscles are tightening or you're gripping the handlebar so tight that it cuts off the circulation to your fingers and they turn white. Um, you, you know, there's just things that that you'll relate to if I use the right. training that you have that you've had. I'll be able to, to give you the mindset. So you'll be able to roll into riding an ATV in a race. Um, and it be like, you know, jumping on the airplane to go overseas to do whatever you got to do. Right. I think I can relate to what you're saying. Honestly, uh, I've, I've done track days on my, on my sport bikes up in, uh, we mentioned Blythe is one of the places that you might, you know, recommend for, for a works race right outside of Blythe or just, uh, on the, you know, further West of Blythe is a uh, Chuckwalla raceway. I'm not sure if you've been out there before, but I've, uh, I've gone out there and do, I've done eight hour track days on the bike and first time ever doing something like that. Yeah. My, my hands were, my forearms had, had a pump that I couldn't get rid of. My hands were, were really you know, fatigued. And, and after the first two, three hours, I was ready to give it up, but uh, I was, what I really realized is I was tense. My body wasn't loose. I wasn't moving around on the, on the bike the way I needed to. I wasn't moving through the corners the way I was fighting the machine instead of going with the machine. I was fighting gravity and, and the, and the G's going in the corners with, uh, with my body when I should have been going, you know, moving with it instead of, uh, going against it or working against it and being stressed out. So I, I don't know. It's, it's not going to have an exact carryover, but I can definitely, uh, 
associate the, the feelings you're mentioning when I'm going to be out there trying to, to be proficient, you know, uh, you know, on, on the quad. Well, let's just, you just roll it over into every life experience. Um, right. And I've been doing it for a long time, but you, you take, you know, you take the experience from driving your truck in a, in ice and snow condition, right. racing your ATV. No, you don't exactly know what's going to do, but you got to feel the machine and flow with it, or you're going to end up in the drift, you know, or, or, or crashing. Um, you may anyways, just because ice and snow is right. unpredictable. But, hey, there is no control is, a, is an illusion that humans like to think that they have control. We have no control. It we have the control of the specific thing that we're holding on to, to a point. There's a rock, there's a bump, there's uh, the side of the track that, that, that may be raised. Uh, you know, there's another, there's other riders, you know, you're riding a mechanical device that can fail. So really control is, there is no control. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and and accepting that you have no control, and, and just being ready to react when those things come about. I guess it is about the best you can do in life. Totally, and and yeah. and you look at guys. You watch, you know, Ken Roxon and Eli Tomac, and and you watch uh, Bo Barron and uh, you know uh, Joel Hetrick and Chad Wien, and and you just look at how they flow. And I don't even know if you know all the guys I named. Um, These guys are professional racers that they're one with their machine. And there's other guys out there. You can watch some YouTube videos where some of these free ride guys just do amazing things on their machine because they're one with it. And if you're going to go and ride, you need to put yourself in a mindset to, to be ultimately relaxed and, and just go for the enjoyment. Right. I'm working with a young, young man now that uh, used to be a bodybuilder and he's a, uh, uh, recovering from uh, heart surgery. Okay. And he keeps trying to put the cart in front of the horse. And I'm like, dude, you got to crawl, crawl before you walk. Stop trying to go from crawling to sprinting. You have to learn body position. You have to learn throttle control. You have to learn how to use your controls, braking. You, you, there's just so much to it that that guys like Bo Barron or guys like myself that have been, I've been riding since I was a little bitty kid. So I do things with the brakes and the controls that I don't even realize I'm doing until I sit back and think about the motion of what you do going into the turn. Um, right. You know, I ride way better if I don't think about it because I just react. I'm just, my right. body is just doing what it does. Um, so things like that, you, you have to take your personal life experience. I love the fact that you tell the stories about, you know, riding your road bike on the track. Um, right. did you, did you ride, did you drag the, the drag bike that you built? Uh, I end up, uh, that, that's the same bike and I have a ZX 14 R it's a really big bike is built to compete with the, the Hayabusa. And as far as the bike that you're looking to take on the track, it's quite heavy. You know, when you look <laughs> at some of the smaller, smaller bikes out there, it's 1441 CC bike. I'm going up against people that are riding leader bikes or, or, you know, the 600, you know, 
600 cc bikes and and i'm out there with my 1441 cc bike and my my bike is a whale in the corners i'm a big guy which is why i have a bigger bike and you know going through the corners you know having a big bike isn't always a, a good thing you know it has the power to pull me out of anything and it keeps me you know keep me up with everything but again it's not as maneuverable and you know the quad that i'm building right now is going to be a lot lighter it's going to handle a lot better than uh you know weight wise compared to, to some of the other things i've done i'm always usually i'm, I'm always buying these big heavy uh, items this would be the first thing that i think is going to have somewhat some bit of a nimbleness to it and so you know, like you're talking about there's a a point to be relaxed and there's a point to 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 let the to be one with the bike you know to be one with the, the machine that you're on to to feel what it is to get that that sense of what it, you know, not, I wouldn't say predictability because that would you know, lead towards control again, but to, to have a good understanding of what your bike is capable of within in the certain parameters. You, you, you do want it to be predictable to a point. I mean, right. it's not always going to do the exact same thing over every bump, but most of the time it's going to, um, you said you built a rock crawler. I, I, in the process of still building that thing, it's a, a labor of love that's taken a long time. Uh, one of my, after my first Afghanistan deployment, I had some money that had been saved up because I was in a place where I couldn't spend any. When I came back, I, it had been a dream to to build a, a, a 1970, not, not a, a particular year, but a international scout. Those things were built all the way from the sixties and in, in the, model or the, the version I did with that was a scout two was built through the seventies and, and stopped production in 1981. So the last time anything built or produced for that was in 1981, which is somewhat similar to the, what I'm going through with the, with my quad build. Cause they stopped building them in 89. There's been a huge gap in, in production for these parts. And, and so finding that for the scout has been a real, I'm not a stranger to, to having to scour and hunt for things. And that, that scout was uh, the first time they were really having to, to dig for, you know, trying to come, you know, try to put together the things I had to put together to get that thing up and going. What I was, what I was trying to re get out of that was, have you used the rock crawler? I haven't because uh, right now I'm in the process of putting together axles for it. And I'm going to be doing a four link suspension setup on there, which I haven't got done. I built the engine, I built the transmission, built the transfer case, and I've done some interior work on it, doing the, putting the dash together. But there always seems to be one thing that gets in the way and uh, or that seems to be the, the sticking point and me getting the, the suspension put together is, is that one for the, for that project. <laughs> I did. I get it. I get it. Um, what I'm trying to get at is seat of the pants. So right. get out on that big monster out on the asphalt and you're riding that machine. When you were talking about getting a feel for it and starting to flow with it, it's, it's the seat of the pants feel that when you first get on that 250R and crack the throttle, you're not so big that it's going to hurt it. You're big enough to where it's going to feel you and it's going to, it's going to be a, a minor drawback for you. Um, but for the amount of fun that you can have on that bike, it's just like getting the flow on that street bike. You know, you're right. You're probably going to be a little intimidated at first just because you've never done it. Right. But once you start getting a feel for how it rolls through the bumps and how it drives through the turns and positioning your body correctly, 
um, you are going to have a world of fun. I, I, and I can't wait to get after it. I, I'm really, I'm a lot, you know, there's a, so many projects that I've gone after and I haven't had a chance to enjoy. Uh, this is definitely not going to be one of those. It's just, I have to wait a couple of years to get back to it. I'm not going to be back until 2023 after I, I, on, on this two year stint out there, but getting this project to a finished state before I leave is kind of important for me. And so all the time and effort and energy I'm putting into it right now is to get it to where I have something that I can look forward to coming back to and, and getting on and pursuing. And so again, like I said, I'm, I have, I, you got a lot of people so, working so I, hard for you. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate that. I really do. And again, like I said, that it would have, wouldn't be nearly as far along this project uh, if it wasn't for the people that I've had helped me along the way. I've really, really couldn't have done it with, without the guidance and the, the rudder steer I've been given. So I, I, for that, I'm appreciative. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. When you mentioned about you're going, uh, you're going on, uh, it, it's not a Westpac, it's a deployment. Um, what's it for? Because it's so long. Is it longer than normal? So this one's not really a deployment. This is one is uh, a permanent change of station. I will be stationed in Bahrain. And then from there, I will be sent to different places throughout the Middle East to support the you know, Marsant operations that are being conducted out there. So Marsant being Marine Central Command, uh, you know, it's Marine, you know, basically everything in the the Middle East, you know, is it, everything's broken up into different regions and, and Marsant is responsible for the middle eastern region and me going to bahrain will be me getting into theater and then where they send me from there to based on needs and, and what's going on uh will be determined once i get out there it's, it's already changed a few times since i was first notified that I, I had those orders coming and so again as things shape and, and change and and, and transition i'll fight i'll figure out where they're going to put me and where they're going to place me and i likely won't be in the same place for the entire two years i'm there they'll be moving me around frequently well i i wish you well over there and i hope that it it, it goes well for you and i hope that you get your uh, promotions out of it because i'm assuming that after that this two-year deal there's a promotion at the end of the road isn't there uh, it wouldn't be coming too long afterwards uh I, when i get back i'll be in zone for promotion about a year uh, on the backside of that, of that two year stint. So about three years from now, I'll be, I'll be considered against my peers to, you know, for promotion and see how that, that shakes out for me. Yeah. I've had a good career. What rank would that be? Uh, Lieutenant Colonel. That goes, there you go. That's the big, yeah. that's the big guy right there. Yeah, it's one of them. That's for sure. And you can keep going, but uh, I think uh, if, that's, is that where you it, it, out or can you go past Lieutenant Colonel? I can go, I can keep going. If uh, my career is going the way it has up to this point, then I can keep going. But again, I'm not sure that I wasn't sure I was going to go past the rank that I'm in right now. And I'm always looking to, to see what's coming next and I'm not ready to step away from it, but, and I'm not ready to, to stop what I'm going after, but I could be happy right now walking away from my career as a major and look at back at it and say that I feel accomplished in what I've, what I've done and be, I'm, I'm satisfied with everything that I've had a chance to go through in the, in the Marine Corps. So if this was it, it for me and I, I were to walk away with this being my last rank, I, I, I would completely feel satisfied with what I've accomplished. I'm just, uh, I'm still enjoying what I do. And it's kind of hard to walk away from something you enjoy doing and being a Marine. I, it, it's, again, like I said, it's been my, the entirety of my, my adult life. And it's kind of hard to, 
to walk away from something that you enjoy so much. It really well, I'm is. Not, I'm not asking you to do that. And I appreciate <laughs> what you are doing. Okay. Now here comes the touchy portion of our conversation. You okay. told me about something a couple of weeks ago. Okay. We're planning something. Well, uh, yeah, I guess it's safe to talk about it now because uh, this won't be air. You know, it won't, by the time this airs, you know, the, the things I'm trying to go through in the next, you know, real soon are, are going to be in, in the, in the past tense. And so what it is, is, uh, you know, there's a gal that's real special in my life. She's, you know, it's going, we're going on three years of being together and she's made a real difference for my happiness and, and for everything I, that, uh, that, that I've been, you know, dealing with in, in my career and, and in my life. And, and so honestly, like I said, I, I can't think of anybody better to spend my life with. I was divorced in 2005. It's been almost, I guess, 16 years since, since I've, you know, I was in a married state and never thought that I'd find myself in a, in a position to, to tie myself to another person for the rest of my life again. And, and this person has been such a, a big influence and has changed my mind on that. She's, you know, really, uh, the love of my life. I'm really happy to, to have found her and to, you know, basically this, this weekend is coming up. is going to be the weekend that I, that I ask her, I've come up with a, a scheme for me to, to, to make this happen. I'm going to be going to the bridge to nowhere. It's a five mile hike in the San Gabriel mountains that, that we'll undertake. And when we get to the the end of that hike, there's this bridge that was built because at some point in time, there's a road that was going to connect and go across it. But at some point in time in the thirties, that road was washed away and the road was never rebuilt. And that bridge remains. It's, it's now it's only uh, able to be gotten to by, by hiking a five mile path to get up there. And now people have said this, the equipment up to where you can do bungee jumping off of it. And so what I'm intending to do is to, get her up there for bungee jumping. And then I will propose to her at some point in time during the, the, the gearing up of, of our first bungee jump and ask her to, to spend a, a life with me and you know, take a, she's never took a bungee jump before and she's really fearful of heights, but I'm going to ask her, you know, I tell her I'm going to take this leap, you know, with you in life, you know, let's uh, take this leap together, you know, and this bungee jump and, and, uh, take a knee and, and, you know, propose and, and say, Hey, you know, spend this, uh, to take a leap of faith on me and, and let's uh let's spin this life together well and, uh, hopefully to, and hopefully she'll say yes you need to give me the update on this and so that we can make sure that everybody gets to find out how this story portion of the story ends um or, or begins. Well, i know it's gonna be happy <laughs> it is beginning and i don't think it will end it's gonna it's gonna end in uh happiness you know, a good life uh, like a happiness for a lifetime for sure that's that's awesome i I, I can't believe that I could see the glow in your eye when you told me it was amazing. You were so stoked. And, uh, if people meet you and the people that know you that listen to this, you're not a super emotional guy. I'm not, no, but, uh, I know when I, you were just like, I had just picked up my, the the, the ring, you know, the, the day that I told you and, you know, we had, I had a chance to run out to the shop and, and I was like, I had to show you. So I, I popped it out and, and showed you what I was going to be you know, presenting. And this has been over a month and a half now, I guess month, month and a half since that happened. I've just been looking for the, a hole in your pocket. 
Yeah, you know, it's a, uh, you know, now it's been sitting in, in my sock drawer, you know, hidden under some socks, you know, cause she's uh, stopped by here and I had to make sure it was well hidden. And I've been trying to figure out how I was going to do it. This wasn't the, 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 the way I'm going about this is not the way I originally said to do this. I really wanted to do this scuba diving. I want to do it underwater. And I really wanted her to, to be underwater with us scuba diving somewhere together. And then me tap on her shoulder, have her look at me and then have a, a, a board written with, uh, you know, will you marry me on it? And then have the ring in the other hand and, and be doing this completely. Well, I don't know, however many feet underneath the water and have her be able to give me a, a reaction that way. Hopefully not, you know, a bad reaction when she's you know shocked or whatever, but, uh, something that would be completely unique and, and have it filmed on, on the GoPro and, and, you know, what a unique experience that would be. I just, it's been a year and a half now that I've been trying to get her to get her scuba certification and it's just, it just never really shook out and worked out. And you may think that, you know, everything I'm going after is, is somewhat on the extreme side, but that's just a, a lifestyle I live. I wouldn't say I'm an adrenaline junkie, but I definitely tend to, to lean towards uh, something that gives me a thrill in life. And I've been drawn to, to drawn to those type of events that, that, that uh, you know, arouse, you know, arouse that. That's crazy. That's awesome. I love it. So yeah. when you're, when you're on, uh, your two year, um, ordered trip, um, right. you need to reach back out to me so that we can get updates so that after your episode airs that during the, during your uh, time away, we can update everybody on how you're doing and how things are going for you. I fully intend to do so. I don't know exactly, like I said, where it's going to take me you know, over these, you know, two years that I'm out there. But again, like I said, I'm sure I'll have some good experiences to, to you know, send back to you guys and kind of show you some of the the areas that you might be envious of, of, of me being in. You know, there's uh, some really good jewels uh, uh, that people wouldn't, I necessarily recognize when they, they think about the areas I'll be at, but yeah, there's some really great architecture that they, they put together in some of the, the gigantic buildings that they put in some of these places in the middle East. There's been a lot of money uh, put towards the, the cities that they built out there. And the, the, again, like I said, some of the, the marvels that you see for tallest buildings and, and, and man-made islands and, you know, just the, the infrastructure that they they've started to, to put together out there is, is, is amazing. And again, like I said, you know, there, there's harsh weather that you have to deal with, but they definitely make it pleasant. There's a different vibe that goes out there and I know may not see a whole lot of it with COVID going on. Cause that affects everybody. And I was there last summer, you know, the eight months leading up to this last summer, you know, I spent time in Qatar and it really put a hamper on things when, when COVID hit and, like anywhere else in the world, everybody was on lockdown and kind of made it hard to, to see or do things or, and experience the, the culture there. So hopefully in this next few years, uh, with everything that's going on in the world, maybe it opens up a little bit and get a chance to experience the culture, the, the food and, uh, you know, see what the history is like in the places I'm going to be traveling. Those there's been people occupying these spaces for thousands of years. And there's a lot of, a lot of things behind the areas with culturally that I'd like to experience. And yeah, I just, uh, it's kind of hard to do so when everything's on lockdown. So I hope that opens up. I got, to, I got a chance to go to UAE. United Arab Emirates. Right, I've been there. Abu Dhabi, um, where we were when when you leave Dubai and you go to Abu Dhabi, and we're we're 
driving out to the location where our hotel was, we would drive by this camel camp. And on our second or third day there, they go, by the way, the guy that owns all the land that we're riding on and driving through and those high rises that we've stayed in, that guy owns them. No, that guy, the camel guy? No, <laughs> come on. And they go, yeah, he owns them and his son lives in the penthouse in the tallest building. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and I, I didn't believe it, but, you know, he's got three wives and some camels and a tent and he's happy. Yeah, you know, sometimes the simplest life is uh, one where you don't have a lot of things to worry about. And I guess you can put yourself in a, you know, away from things you and you can really isolate the things that you have to think about when you're in an austere condition and, and there's certain things that sustain life in those austere conditions. It makes life kind of, you know, simple. You know, if you don't have those things, you, you die. And if you, you, you do have them, you, you survive and you know, living in a tent in the, in a desert, you know, water and food are, are two things, but water more so than anything else. But when those are the things that you have to concern yourself with and not the, the other things in life, it kind of makes it pretty easy to, to figure out what's, what, what's, what the priorities are. That's for sure. Yeah. I blew me away. I mean, we had have you been on the back side of uh um buttercup where where their yeah. comp hill is at buttercup so you're in the valley no i don't think i have well uh, i'm trying to think of a so uh, how about gordon's wells have you been there i've been through it i've seen it and i've driven okay. past just never had a chance to experience it there so i know where it's at when you drive by where all the people camp on the one side well right. They have a valley out there in the middle of this valley. It'd be just like that valley with dunes on both sides. You know, it's right. cool. It's awesome. And in the middle of the valley is a gas pump. <laughs> yeah. You and know, that's, they, they tell you, take the gas you want. Right. But the five gallon well, bottle of water, that gallon bottle of water, that's a hundred bucks. Oh yeah. You know, five, I'll get, you know, five gallons of water is a hundred bucks. Yeah. Because it's harder to get than the gas. <laughs> Completely believe it. Yeah. You know, crazy. You can live uh 30 days without food, but probably couldn't go more than you think on what kind of environment you're in. Maybe, you know, two, three days without, without water. It's necessary for everybody to have, have that, the same life. So it makes, like I said, it makes it real simple when, when there are, just a few things that you had to concern yourself with for, for the survival of, you know, to, to make it through from day to day. And, uh, and I don't know if you've had this feeling before, but just putting yourself in the, in a predicament where you're maybe in the woods and you're, you're away from things or you're, I, I do rock climbing. And, and so sometimes like you, you get out to these places where you're away from everybody else and, think life gets simple when you, you only have to concern with is, you know, climbing up there, making sure that you, your knots are right. And your, your rope is not being pinched by anything. And you are only worried about the, the next thing that you're grabbing onto to pull yourself to the, the next point that you look and reassess and, and figure out what, what comes next in life. You know, when you get done with it all, you go back and if you're camping there, then you, you, you have a little bit of food, have a little water, you get back at it the next day and you know, they can kind of, make life simple when those are the only things you're thinking about is what's happening in that moment. You get back to the, the swing of things when you're in your job or 
you know, in, you're in a, in an urban setting, you know, there, there are so many other things that can take your, your, your time and, and your attention and, and really make your, your life complex. You know, there's bills to pay, there's things to do. And, but think about uh, maybe the person that does through hiking for 60 days where they go on the Pacific crest trail to make it from Mexico to the Canadian border. The only thing they're thinking about that time is how many miles are going to do that day and what, you know, what kind of animals they may, you know, they may come in contact with and, and how they're going to feed themselves and, and, and make where their next water point is to fill up the, what they have, you know, stored on themselves that they, that they're carrying with them. You know, there's something to be uh, respected when it comes to, you know, <laughs> you know, those feet are the only two feet you have. And that's, what's going to get you from point A to point B. So take care of those things, you know, you know, there's a lot of that in the Marine Corps where you, you get dropped in, in, in places and, and all you have is the, you know, the, the weapon on your back and the, the things that sustain you for the time frame you're going to be out there. And it, it makes life pretty simple. you got the guy next to you, you got the things that you have that you're responsible for and you have the mission that you're supposed to go after. And, you know, when those are the only things you're really worried about, everything else in the world that you've left behind kind of goes away, you know, at least for that moment. And, you know, those, all the, those things are all waiting for you when you get back. But for those moments, life gets pretty simple. And, you know, you have a few things that you have to do to make sure that, that life goes on for you. And as long as you're doing those things, it, it kind of puts things in perspective. That's for sure. <laughs> I was, I've told this story before and I'll, I'll tell you this one. I was in my first, uh, at my first Dakar rally. Right. We were on a stage in Chile and um, we were in the desert where, if you remember a few years back, it's probably 10 years now, where all those miners got stuck in the mine in Chile and they had drilled, drilled down in the one, you put the guy inside of the deal and slide him out and, you know, right. I remember that I was in that desert. Okay. We were in that area and it was a tough day. It was a, it was a really hard day. And one of the CPs was almost impossible to get to. So riders were lost. Vehicles were lost. The motorcycle guys came in late. Um, they had a better shot at it than the ATV guys. The ATV guys were better than the trucks. Um, you know, the CP was up on a mountain and the trail was in the bottom of the valley. So you had to figure it out. Well, the motorcycle guys obviously did, um, not all of them, but most of them. So we got to that bivouac early, early in the morning and waited, you know, and that's normally your shower time, your get something to eat time, sleep time, because you're going to be up all night, you know, prepping the machine for the next day or, or whatever it be. Well, I knew something was wrong. I just had that feeling and where we were parked, I could walk to this little orange fence and stand next to it um, that kept the spectators out. Believe it or not, there were tons of them out there. And I could look right. up the hill at the top of the sand dune and I could tell who was coming off the top of the sand dune from there. And I stood out there for 12 hours waiting for my guy. Oh, wow. And when he finally crested, you know, I didn't go to breakfast. I didn't go to lunch. I didn't go shower. I just waited. And, um, when we got back to the bivouac and I'm, and I'm talking to him, I, I asked him, I says, dude, you've been out on that quad for 12 hours, man. How did, how, how did you manage? How did you even deal? I can, I can want to, I can ride the thing for five minutes and I'm done. You know, right. you have to for 12 hours. And he goes, you know, this is how I, my perspective is. It's just one sliver of moment of life. If I can't right. 
if I can't be miserable or, you know, deal with my blister or whatever for just a little small window of time for that, then I shouldn't be doing this. It makes sense. Yeah. That was a life changing piece of advice. It wasn't even a piece of advice. It was just the answer to the question. And for me, that was life changing because everything that is ugly now, I think about that and stop worrying about it because it's only one sliver of the moment of your life. And if you want to make it so catastrophic that it ruins the rest of your life, uh, go right ahead. But I'm not gonna, because five minutes from now, it's going to change. And five minutes after that, it's going to change. And five It'll be just a distant memory. Exactly. Yeah. And then you already had moved on to, to so many bigger and better things that, you know, some of these great things and positives in your life that are going to end up casting a shadow on any negatives that you may be struggling with at that moment. You know, that's what, that's what strife is all about. You know, you, you, you go through strife in life and then you look back at it as a, as a learning point or a, a maybe a moment in life that where, you know, you had some hardship, but you got through it. And, and again, like I said, you've, put your energies and efforts towards all the positives that come, have come since. And again, I said, it just becomes one of those, those stories, those things that make you who you are, maybe toughened you up or you need to be toughened up and where you, you feel that you need uh, some, some tweaking and to, to make yourself a, a better version of what you are today. And so that's, yeah. that's what, you know, that's what you know, these little hardships do for you. If it wasn't for all those struggles and, and hardships, you know, it wouldn't build you, people talk about building character, but it wouldn't have shaped the character that you, that you live in in, in today's life. And the next time you have a struggle, it's similar or remotely, uh, uh, in a, a similar shape of, of what you've gone through in the past, you'll, you'll know how to go after it and you'll know how to get through it and know that it's just again like another sliver of life that you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Alex. I want to thank you very much for spending some time with ATV Talk. It was it was our pleasure and it was our honor. Um, you're quite the guy, and your service to this country goes. I mean, I don't even know how to say thank you enough. And it's not about you coming on ATV Talk. It's about you allowing us to spend time with us, and because I know how valuable your time is, and um, I appreciate it so much. And I know that I'll be talking to you in the future, and I know that I'll be talking with you about your ATV. Um, I hope that the ATV community uh, will open their arms to you and welcome you in, and uh, listen to your episode, and support you in in all your endeavors moving forward. Alex Westerholm, uh, major in the U S Marine Corps and uh, a pretty special man. And I hope everybody enjoys this as much as I have. And, um, again, thank you. And please make sure you send us your updates. Okay. You're going so that in the little videos that I post on Facebook and Instagram, I can update people how you're doing and, and let everybody know. I definitely will. I, I, appreciate like I said, being a part of the community that uh, you've allowed me to, to enter into. And, you know, these last three, four months have, have been an indicator uh, of the quality of people that I'm getting myself uh, in the mix of and definitely, definitely enjoy it. I, I, I'm glad to have something to come back to look forward to coming back to when I, when I get back here too. So again, like, you know, so, so thank you for everything you've done up to this point and, 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 and continue to do for me. And, and, and it's, you know, the, the gratitude is here for, for me. And I, I just want to say thank you. Well, you're very, very welcome. It was my pleasure and it's, and it's my honor. And I hope that I'm there when we take that machine out on its debut ride, um, so that I can help guide you in the, in the right path on that. You already have some skills, so it's not going right. to take a lot, but 
you know, I hope I'm there to help you. Uh, I'm sure you will be. And, uh, you need to be on something next to me too, because I know you got some skills and, and things to, to, to show, you know, there's uh, a lot to, that I know I'm going to learn from you. I'm just an old guy that, that loves what I do. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, that's why, why, why passion is so important in this, in, in anything we do in life. And, uh, you find the people with that passion and you, t- you attach yourself to those people with that, with those, uh, with, with that type of passion. And you know, you, you, you got someone that that's worth, you know, holding on to that's for sure. And, Definitely uh, see that in you. Well, I appreciate that very much, Alex. I'll let you get back to your uh, to your day. Well, your evening, excuse me. And uh, right. uh, I'm sure uh, we'll be in touch shortly. I know that we're working on some some stuff for your project. Um, you have a great night, and make sure you uh, you get those updates to me, and and I'll be reaching out to you before you leave. Again, thank you for being on ATV Talk. And, and God bless you and you be safe and keep your head down while you're over there. Thank you, Leonard. Appreciate it. All right, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Teams. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.